The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you could turn with me to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27 It'll also be printed on the screen, and it's also printed in your bulletin this morning. We are continuing our study uh, in the life of Jacob, the gospel in the life of Jacob. And a couple of weeks ago, we started the series, and I mentioned Sinclair Ferguson. I love this little summary. He calls Jacob the twister, and he said the story of Jacob is God untwisting the twisted. As we're going to see, there's still uh, some untwisting to do, and that hadn't really started yet in the life of Jacob. And we're going to see this morning that everyone in the story, not just Jacob, is a bit twisted. I think you'll see what I mean as we read God's Word this morning. This is a lengthy passage. I want to encourage you to hang in there with me and follow along Uh, This is an amazing but sad story. This is God's Word. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. He answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. And now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went into the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau. Bring me your game and prepare for me delicious food that I might eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I have commanded you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I might prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies." But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Isaac is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. And so he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. And so he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. 
Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob went near to his father, to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. And then he said, bring it near to me that I might eat of my son's game and bless you. And so he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And so he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to help us this morning. Please pray with me. Let's pray. Father, uh, you tell us that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that you would bring this sword, your word, into this room and into this place and to those watching and those in overflow and that you would pierce us with it. That you would Apply this passage to our hearts that you would convict and challenge and change, bring us to repentance and faith, and show us the goodness of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus through this passage. Help us to see the gospel in the life of Jacob. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Years ago, I heard a poem titled, No Surprise. And it goes like this, it was no surprise that we now saw the damage strewn all over town. For years we saw it coming, though we hoped that we were wrong, and though that somehow things might actually work out, but that was just a dream. You do what you can, and sometimes you just can't do anymore, and then the wills completely fall off. One time my dad told me that things would get better. Well, they didn't. They actually got worse. She cried and he yelled. The scent of vodka in his voice, both filling the room and then just silence. Just silence. There were no more Christmas cards Family photos at the beach with everyone wearing white shirts and blue jeans. There are, there are instead moving vans, Kleenex boxes, and therapists. The kids spend time with their friends and wonder what happened, wonder if it was their fault, 
why is mommy so sad? But that was years ago, and now their wives are sad, and their breath has the scent of vodka. And deep down, we hope that things will get better, but deep down, we know the way that it will end. With the sound of crying, the scent of vodka, and silence. I'm glad to offer this ministry of encouragement (laughs) to you this morning. Seriously, that is an extremely sad story of a family, isn't it? An extremely painful story of family dysfunction. However, I'm not so sure that this story of family dysfunction in Genesis chapter 27 might not be uglier and might not be sadder. Why? Because this is the covenant family of God. And when we glance at a story like this, we might flinch, and maybe we have this instinct in us. I cannot believe that a God-fearing family in the Bible could possibly be so dysfunctional. And then we think about our own families, don't we? Very quickly, we start to think about our own dysfunction. And we start thinking about the dysfunction that exists within the own walls of our own homes. And we're reminded, aren't we, of the name-calling and of the arguing and the silent treatment and the secret addictions that no one knows about. Or maybe we're reminded of the cold shoulders, the neglect and the secret uh, or the materialism and the yelling and the power plays that happen every day in our relationships and the passive-aggressive comments or someone in the family that controls everything so much that it stifles everyone else in the family out. There's the deception and the lying. Do I need to go on? No, you see, all of us have these things that take place within our own homes, and we want so badly, don't we, to be a home that is normal, where peace and order rule. And we know when we look at our families and live within our families, that's not reality. And then we hear of other people struggling and families maybe struggling within our own church or we read about families in the Bible and we're relieved because we thought they had it all together and we find out that they don't and we realize that we're not alone. And if you feel that way this morning, you are not alone. There is no such thing, friends, as a perfect family. Every family, because of Genesis chapter 3, that includes my family, by the way, has some level of dysfunction in it because of Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 27, this is a story, here's the main idea, this passage is a story of a family that insists on handling things their own way instead of handling it God's way. And in the process, they completely make a mess of their family and of their lives. And yet, in the midst of the chaos, 
And in the midst of the ruin, God remains faithful to his promise to bring order out of the chaos. You see, the only explanation, and you're going to see this as we go through this series more than ever, the only explanation for how God could be working in a family like this one to bring about his rescue plan in the world is because our God is a God of great and amazing grace. I'm going to look at three headings this morning in this passage. First heading, the division and the disobedience. The second thing we'll look at is the deception, and lastly, the hope. So the division and disobedience, the deception, and the hope. Let's look at our first heading, the division and disobedience. So Isaac, you see it in the passage, is old. His body is failing him, uh, so much so that he is at odds with his entire family. Everyone is trying to get what they can out of him. And one of the questions that we should ask is, why is this family so dysfunctional? Well, we actually get some hints in the text. I don't know if you picked it up as we were reading this morning, but you get an idea. Look at verses 1 and 5 with me. Isaac calls Esau. He doesn't say our son. He's my son. And then listen very closely to Verse 6, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Do you see it? Do you see the division in this family? Genesis chapter 25, verse 27. Remember, we were told by the narrator, it seemed like a throwaway comment, but it was meant to give us insight into the family. And in chapter 25, the narrator says, Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob. Listen to Sinclair Ferguson. There was something going on in the parents that was spiritually twisted. And it became evident, as it always does, that the children, children were breathing in the spiritual atmosphere that their parents were breathing out. What do we see happening in this marriage and in this family? We see miscommunication. We see lack of trust and respect between Isaac and Rebecca, they are not together. They are not together in this. They both, there's family favoritism going on. They're both maneuvering and uh, manipulating their sons in order for their favorite sons to get the blessing. There's no trust of God in this family, and it literally tears this family apart. And it begs the question, and it was a convicting one for me this week, What's the atmosphere of your home? What is the atmosphere in your home that your children are breathing in? Let's look at what these children, Esau and Jacob, were breathing in in their home. Look at the maneuvering of Isaac in verses 3 and 4. He puts this plan in place to pass on the blessing that God had given his father Abraham, remember in Genesis chapter 12, and we saw last week in Genesis chapter 26 that Abraham passes on to Isaac. 
And now Isaac wants to pass the blessing on to his favorite son, the firstborn, Esau. He loved him the best. Esau was more like him, it sounds like. He was outdoorsy. He liked to hunt. And so he knew that Esau would be able to hunt the wild game and to get whatever was needed for Isaac's favorite stew. And notice here where this plan and uh, part of Isaac's plan on where this transaction of the blessing is going to take place. Not in public, but in private in the bedroom with no witnesses and no family present. That is a problem. Because in that culture, uh, when the blessing would be passed down, it was a celebration. It was a family affair where everyone would be present together, not in this plan. This plan takes place behind closed doors with just Isaac and Esau. And when the plan is laid out, notice what Esau doesn't do. Yes, uh, is, he going, is he just going along with what his father says? He's a grown man at this point. And notice what Esau does not do. He does not step in and say, Dad, listen, I've already sold my birthright. We cannot do this. This is wrong. No. Esau sees this as the perfect opportunity to get the blessing back from his brother. Isaac is acting, notice Isaac is faced with a choice, do I follow God's word or do I follow my desire and my preference? Because you see in Genesis chapter 25, remember God said the older will serve the younger. And Isaac is following his will rather than God's will. And when we are faced with loss, think about when you are faced with loss. When we are faced with loss or something we desire or something we really want in life is threatened, in those moments it will show you where you are placing your faith. It will show you where you are placing your hope and your trust. And if you think about the life of Isaac, think about Isaac. If anyone should have trusted God's promises and that God would pull through, you would think, if you know the story of Isaac, that it would be him. Remember, he's on the altar about to be sacrificed, and his father Abraham has the knife about to kill him. And then at the very last minute, what? There God provides. A ram in the thicket. And he was spared. And so I think it's easy for us to think, come on, you know, Abraham or Isaac, uh, can't you trust God? Why? What's going on here? Why are you so quick not to trust him with the birthright? We need to be careful, don't we? Aren't we just like Isaac? We're not forgetful of a ram in the thicket. Rather, we are forgetful of a lamb on a cross. How often do we forget the cross and lose sight of God's care for us and love for us, and instead of walking by faith, we trust our own plan and our own preferences and we follow them? 
We are more like Isaac than we realize, aren't we? Secondly, the deception. Look at verses 5 through 26. I'll try to summarize this. That's a long and a big chunk of Scripture. But Rebekah overhears Isaac uh, with his plan, and so she develops a counter plan. Because why? Well, she has her favorite son, and she wants to win the blessing for her favorite son. And so she takes advantage of Isaac's blindness, and she dressed Jacob up uh, in Esau's best clothing in his outfit and covers him with goat, goat skin in order to cover Jacob's lack of hairiness. And in verse 18, Jacob goes in to his father dressed as his brother and presents the stew that his mother has made and then thoroughly deceives him by lying to him over and over and over again. And in verses 22 through 27, Isaac can't tell them apart. Uh, he, you see there that even his other senses begin to let him down. And when we read this, we might, have, we might be tempted to think that Rebecca's decision to, to step in here, to move God's plan along, um, and to help her son get the blessing is not all that bad. Because maybe we think, well, I mean, isn't Jacob supposed to get the blessing anyway? So what's the big deal? One commentator says this, I love this. It is not enough for the goal to be right. The means by which we arrive at that goal must also be right. It's not enough for the goal to be right. The means by which we arrive at that goal must also be right. Friends, this is a Bible study principle we need to always remember, particularly in Old Testament narratives. Just because God describes something doesn't mean he prescribes something. The Bible is recording sin not endorsing sin. And we're going to see next week, up close and personal, the enormous consequences of Rebecca achieving the goal, but doing it in the wrong way. Yes, Rebecca and Jacob, they wanted to see the will of God done. They didn't just, but they didn't want to wait patiently for it and see how God was going to bring about his will. Instead, they plan and work out a plan of deception. I mean, think about what Rebecca could have done here. Upon hearing that conversation from Isaac and Esau, she could have walked into the room and she could have said, Esau, I love you. Jacob or Isaac, I love you, but we can't do this. Esau, you sold your birthright. Even more, God has made promises to us, and we know that God will provide and he will come through. Or maybe you say, well, okay, but maybe in that moment, she did not feel like she could confront him. Well, at the very least, she could have prayed. At the very least, she could have said, God, you have been so good to me to give me a child that I waited for for 20 years. 
I know, God, you will make good on your promises. Do you realize, did you realize that not a single person in this narrative that we read this morning prays? Not one person seeks God and says, Lord, give me wisdom, give me patience, and give me guidance in this situation. And notice here Jacob's response to his mom after she proposes the plan. It's much like Esau. Notice what he doesn't do. And then notice what he does. He doesn't say, look, this is wrong. We can't do this. God has promised us. Let's be patient and wait. Instead, look at verse 20. He lies over and over and over. And then he blasphemes God. In verse 20, God gave me success. And so he uses the the Lord's name to deceive his own father. And so what is the application for us? God calls us to be obedient to him and to let his timing and his way work themselves out. He calls us to be obedient and let him take care of fulfilling the promises and the way he wants to fulfill the promises in his timing. And yet, how often do we try to control the people in our lives, especially our children? And how often do we try to control our futures or manipulate our futures and we worry and we stress and we get really anxious and we just write God right on out of the story and right on out of our lives because we forget, don't we, that God is the one who is ultimately writing the story. And he is writing the story of our lives. You see, the bottom line question here is this. Can God fulfill his promises without our help? Do you believe that God can fulfill his promises without your help? That's the question. Friends, God will do it. God will fulfill his promises. And as we wait, our responsibility is to watch, to wait patiently, to fervently pray, and to walk humbly by faith with the Lord our God. Lastly, you ready for some hope? The hope of the story. This is a hard passage and a very sad passage, and this won't be the last one of these kinds of passages in the life of Jacob. But we do find hope here in passages like this one. Let me mention a couple of things. As you know, if you were to go and they had Ancestries.com back then and you were to look up Jesus, you know who you would find that's part of Jesus' family tree? You would find this family. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jesus did not come through a perfect bloodline and family. Jesus came through a chosen bloodline and family, a family marked by sin and brokenness. And some of you this morning, maybe this has brought up this sermon 
in this passage has brought up tons of pain and dysfunction within your own family. Maybe it's brought it up anew, the betrayal that you've experienced or the manipulation or the brokenness in your own family. This is an encouragement to you and there's encouragement to be found here from knowing that Jesus knows the pain of family dysfunction. And that means that you can trust Jesus with your dysfunction. That you can bring it to him. That you can rely on him and lean into him because he knows how to comfort you and he has the power to do so. And he can strengthen you and give you hope and bring you through it. We also see here and find hope in the fact that though this family is a complete mess, disobedience and division and deception. We see, look at verses 27 through 29, that Isaac blesses Jacob and God still achieves his purposes just like he planned at the beginning. Teaching us that God works not in spite of our sin, but actually through our sin. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how that all works, It's very mysterious, but it is taught all over the Bible, and we see it very vividly. And the ultimate example is the cross of Jesus Christ. The religious leaders, in their sin, devise a plan to kill Jesus. Think about Judas. He betrays and sells Jesus out for pennies, and Pilate Uh, goes with the crowd instead of releasing Jesus, who he knows is innocent and not in spite of their sin, but through their sin, salvation is brought and accomplished for the world. And again, that doesn't mean Jesus approves of the sin. And that does not mean he, uh, there's no consequences for sin. Again, just because God records something doesn't mean God endorses something. God is not defending or minimizing the sin or the dysfunction. Rather, God in this story is invading it and overruling it. He is going out of his way, God is, to communicate that he is greater than all of our sin. The story of the Bible is a story about how God uses the brokenness and the messiness, and the dysfunction, and the scars, and the pain for his purpose. And he uses those things to display his glory and his grace in your lives and in the entire world. And you might be thinking, well, how is this possible? Well, it's possible because of the hope of the gospel. Think about the gospel God does not run from the dysfunction. God does not run from the darkness. Instead, God takes on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and he moves into the dysfunction and into the darkness in order to engage it and to redeem it. Ian Duguid, a commentator, concerning verse 13. Look at verse 13. In the most awesome reversal of all, Jesus would graciously say to us what Rebecca rashly said to her son. Let the curse be on me. 
so that you can get the blessing. You see the gospel? Rebecca did not have a clue what she was talking about. But Jesus did. And Jesus takes the curse on himself so that you might get the blessing. Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us through Jesus Christ. The curse for Isaac's disobedience. The curse that he deserved for that. The curse that Rebecca deserves for her deception that Esau deserves for neglecting the birthright, the curse that Jacob deserved for his trickery, the curse that you and I deserve every single day because of what we have done in our sin was laid upon Jesus so that the Father might give you the blessing so that his undeserved people might get the blessing. Receiving the blessing means that like Jacob, we too must be covered in our elder brother's clothes. We must be covered in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. See, that's the hope of the gospel. Friends, if the gospel and if God can break through this family in this dysfunction... He can break through yours. And so will you this morning bring your dysfunction? Bring it to Jesus. Will you let Jesus rescue it and redeem it and engage it and work it out for his glory and his good? Let's pray. Father, who is like you? There is no God like our God. Thank you for being a God that enters into the dysfunction and to the darkness in order to transform us and to save us. Would you forgive us for our neglect and for our unbelief of your promises and for not waiting for the ways that we often take matters into our own hands? And would you help us this morning to ponder what we've heard? You give us courage to cry out to you for help. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.